Tonight we're talking about I'm struggling with grief. So I want to begin with this question. I'd like to see the hands of everyone who has not experienced death of a family member, an immediate family member. Now, I'll define that for you before you raise your hand. I would define immediate family as grandparents, parent, spouse, child, brother, sister, in-laws. So if you have not experienced a death in your immediate family, maybe you have your uncles and cousins and that, but in your immediate family, if you have not experienced a death in your immediate family, would you raise your hand, please? Very, very few hands, if any. So let me ask a question another way. Everyone who has experienced the death in your immediate family, would you raise your hand? Now look around. Look around. That's why this message is needed. And I want to say ahead of time, before I get too far into this, this is not one of those happy, feel-good messages. This is, you know, the word grief. There's nothing happy about grief. It's not one of these messages where you're going to leave saying, I feel so good that I went to church tonight. But it is a message that it desperately, desperately needed. And some of you are here tonight because you're struggling. You're struggling with grief. You see, all of our lives change without our permission eventually. All of them do. You know, I wish the last funeral I ever performed was the one I preached on Thursday. But we all know there's going to be another one. We don't know when, but there's going to be another one. I was looking this week, I thought about even bringing it out, but it would, I was looking this week at my file folders of sermons, funeral messages that I've done at Mount Airy, just while I've been at Mount Airy. Now, given I've been here 21 and a half years, but the file folder is about that thick. Funerals I've done just at Mount Airy. The psalmist asked this question in Psalm 89. He said, What man can live and not see death or save himself from the power of grave? What man can live and not see death? We all see it. There are very few things as certain in life as death. And because of that, there are very few things in life as certain as loss. There are very few things, I'll say it this way, there are very few things as certain in life as grief. We all have had or will have to say goodbye to someone we deeply cherish, someone we deeply love, and the gap left in their absence is heartbreaking. Death has a way of changing our lives forever. We wish we could go back to the way things were, right? But we can't. And part of the struggle with grief is this whole idea that they're gone. I mean, they're just, they're just gone. And it's hard for our minds to conceive of that, that I will never see him again. I will never see her again. They will never be in that chair again. They, they will never call me again. I will never be able to talk to them again. And the whole struggle with, they're gone. I was thinking of, of Adam and Eve, as strange as it may sound. I was thinking of Adam and Eve this week. When Cain killed Abel, first death. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve had to come to grips with death. And I'm sure they also had to come to grips with grief. 
Now, remember, they don't have a reference point for this. They don't know what it is to experience death. They don't know that. I can hear Eve saying, well, where is he? Well, he's dead. I, I know, but, but where is, he's coming back, right? No. Can you imagine that how you, you think it's hard for you to wrestle with your grief? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve to wrestle with the fact that their son has died and they didn't even know what death was? And trying to get their mind around the fact that they'll never see him again, they'll never talk to him again, he will never be there again. It's hard to even get your mind around that concept. Death has a way of changing our lives forever, and we wish we could go back, and we can't. And so what do we do when we're struggling with intense grief? So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to talk about what grief is. I want to talk about when does grief end, and then I want to talk about some ways that you can deal with grief. So that's kind of where we're heading. Let me talk first of all about what is grief. Well, I'm going to ask you to help me tonight, even though... Uh, you know, I'm up here rather than down on the floor. I'm going to ask for your participation. What is grief? Give me your best definition. What is grief? Somebody tell me. What is it? Have to say it a little louder. Unending sadness. Good. What else? Say that long louder. Definitely, sorrow. Grief is simply the pain we feel over a loss. Grief is real because the loss is real. Grief is different for everyone. It's, it's a common experience across the ages and the countries and the cultures. Everybody around the world, they grieve because they lose someone. Dr. Susan Delaney said, if someone mattered to you in life, they continue to matter to you after they die. That's why you grieve. Because though they are dead, they continue to matter to you. I, I like what uh, author Edward Jackson, the way he described grief, very poignant. He said, grief is a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shock and uncertainty and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly alone for a few minutes before going about the task of the day. She knows that part of her is in the cemetery just as part of her is in her daily work. Grief is the silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes a hundred times a day when you start to speak to someone who is no longer there. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for many years. Grief is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who has died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know that they're not and will never be again. Grief is simply the pain we feel over a loss because the loss is real. Now let me talk to you about when does grief end. Dealing with the pain of grief that we feel inside, you know this, is a process. It's not a journey. It's not just a, a, a journey that has a, a beginning and an end. It's, it's this process that there's a winding, a winding road and there's, there's really 
not a certain date to the ending of it. It's kind of individual to all of us. Now, you know as well as I do that society places a lot of pressure on us many times to get over it, to get on with it. You're allowed a few days to grieve, and they expect you to grieve a little bit. They just don't want you to grieve too much. And so we have this this unwritten rule in society that you're given a little bit of time to grieve, and then it's time to get on with it. It's time to move on. It's time to get over it. When does grief end? Um, Let me say it to you this way. How long do you grieve over a husband of 50 years? How long do you grieve when a teenager is killed in a car accident? How long do you grieve when a four-year-old child dies of a brain tumor? I mean, how long should you grieve? Is it six months? Is it a year? Is it five years? I want to give you my theory, and I admit to you this is theory. I don't have scripture for this, but my theory is this. I'm not sure that grief ever really does end I think we just learn to cope with it I don't think there's a stopping point where we say okay I'm done with it I I don't think there's a stopping point where we can say okay my grief is over because the loss is always there we the intensity of the grief definitely weakens it lessens the intensity of the grief over time lessens But I'm not sure that grief ever really ends. Now, when death comes at first, of course, it shakes us to the core. I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 11. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures tonight. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 17. Let me just read you the text and make a few comments as we go. I just want you to see the the power and the emotions uh, of grief. Powerful emotions that accompany death. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? By the way, do you believe that? That's where our hope is found. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who who was come into the world. And after after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice that word, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. They understood this idea of mourning and the power of emotions at death. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her, when Jesus saw her, what church? Here's the first sign of emotions. Here, 
when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He, Jesus, was deeply moved. Deeply moved in spirit. And what's that next word? It was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? All through this text, we see the the story being punctuated by tears and mourning and weeping and grief. Did a lot of reading, a lot of studying in preparation for this message. And one of the things that I found was something C.S. Lewis talked about. C.S. Lewis, after the death of his wife, said that the pain... I'm just going to read you what he wrote because it's so good. He said, after the death of his wife, the pain was not localized in certain places or at certain times or on certain days like he thought it would be, but it makes every part of every day different. In other words, he said, I I thought maybe I could confine it to certain days. I thought I could confine my sorrow, my sadness to certain times or certain places. He said, but her absence was like the sky that spread over everything. In other words, death hurts. And I'm not sure that grief ever really ends. I think you just learn to cope with it. I think, again, the intensity of grief lessens, but the presence of grief may not go away. I found it interesting that Billy Graham said much the same thing in a book that I was reading that he wrote, speaking about the loss of his wife, Ruth. Billy and his wife, Ruth, were, were so close. And when, he, when she died, it devastated him. And this is four years after the funeral. He wrote these words. He says, Shouldn't our grieving over the loss of a loved one fade as time passes? Yes, it should. And in some ways it has for me. But in other ways it hasn't nor do I expect it to. I like that last phrase, nor do I expect it to. He said, you know what, I feel like this grief, four years later, I feel like that's just part of me because of the loss. Now, one of the reasons that I say this to you, and I'm going to get a little personal here with you, but My dad, as you know, was my spiritual hero, and my dad died on April the 7th, the year 2000. So it's been 18 years since my dad died. On the anniversary of his death, we went to see a movie called I Can Only Imagine. If you haven't seen the movie, I would encourage you to see it if you can find it or later rent it. Uh, it's, It's really, really good. And the movie basically is, is about a man who has a troubled childhood and, and then his dad gets saved and, and his dad eventually dies and goes to heaven. And I didn't expect this. I didn't even put the two and two together that this is the anniversary of my dad's death and here's this powerful movie. I didn't even think in those terms. I was just going to go see a movie. And in the middle of the movie, towards the end of the movie actually, I was overwhelmed with grief. With grief I haven't felt in years. Lisa was to my right and I was trying to keep from just 
bellowing out, crying like a baby. I was trying to hold it. Have you ever tried to hold in your, your crying, but you can't? You just kind of shake. I was just, I wept hard. And he's been dead 18 years. And most days I don't struggle at all. Most days I don't even think about him. That may sound bad to you, but most days I don't even think about him. But that day, I felt my loss again. And it seemed so fresh. And it seemed so lonely. And it seemed so real. And I missed him so much. And it was 18 years ago. I don't know that grief ever really ends. I think we just learn to deal with it. It lessens in its intensity, but occasionally we're reminded, aren't we, of the loss that we've experienced. So we've talked about what is grief. We've talked about when does it end. Well, I'm not sure that it ever does. I've done a lot of reading, and, and I'm not sure that it ever does. But here's what, I really, here's what you really need, and this is probably the reason you came tonight. I want, in the time that we have left, I want to give you five ways to deal with our grief. This is what you need to write down. Five ways to deal with our grief. We're going to look at Scripture, different Scriptures. Five ways to deal with our grief. Here's the first one. Number one, accept your feelings. Accept them. Accept your feelings. Don't be surprised by your grief or deny it or feel guilty over it. Don't be surprised if you have a variety of feelings. Don't be surprised if these feelings change from day to day. Don't be surprised if one day you feel guilty and one day you feel angry. Just accept your feelings. In other words, watch this. Don't tell yourself that you have to feel a certain way. Don't tell yourself that you should be different by now and you should, be, you should be going down this road by now. Accept your feelings. Go to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49 verse 29. This is a story about the death of Jacob. Genesis chapter 49, verse 29. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. That is, I'm about to die. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. The cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried, and there Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up in the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Verse 50, chapter 50, verse 1. I want you to notice what Joseph did here. When Joseph watched his father Jacob die, verse 50 says, Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. 
Joseph, look at this picture here. Joseph threw himself on his father. And he wept over him. and Kissed him. And we don't have the time to read. If you want to read all the way through, through verse 14, there's this whole process that Joseph went through to bury his father. And he had these various feelings. Here, here's my point. You know as well as I do, the psychologists talk about the cycle of healing when it comes to grief. And some of these I have experienced myself. Maybe some of these you have as well. First is the initial shock of death. And when the initial shock of death starts, we're usually numb. I've heard so many people say, uh, Pastor, I just feel numb right now. I just feel numb. I know that she's gone. I know that he's gone, but, but I just feel numb. And I think in some ways that's God giving you a shock absorber, so to speak, if I can. You know, you've got a shock absorber on your car, and it helps you to so that, so that the, the jar is not too bad when you're going down the road. And sometimes I think the jar of death would be too much for us if God were not able to give us this, this kind of this feeling of, of shock and numbness. I, I think that really is part of the grief process that God has put in us. And then the second is the emotional release of weeping. Can I say something to, to the men today? Guys, you need to be able to cry. You need to be willing to cry. And this whole thing that grown men don't cry is a bunch of bull. That would have been a good place for somebody to say, you're right. Then the third stage is loneliness and depression. The fourth stage is anger. Why did God allow this? You start wrestling with all those feelings. The fifth stage is usually acceptance. Here's the reason I tell you all of that. Grief is not a linear process. We don't go from stage one to stage two to stage three to stage four to stage five. Grief is almost like a figure eight rather than a linear process. We're bouncing around from here to there. We're good days and bad days, good days and bad days, and we're bouncing around. My point is simply this. Accept your feelings. Don't put pressure on yourself, well, I should be feeling better by now. Accept your feelings. You're grieving. You're trying to understand this loss. You're trying to process this loss. And some people, it takes longer than others. And you might bounce around to, from this one to that one. It may be guilt today and anger tomorrow. You may be bouncing around, but just accept your feelings. This is what I'm going through. Number two, look to the future. I love Second Samuel. I don't understand quite how David could do this, to be honest with you. But Second Samuel chapter 12 Verse 23, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here, what, let's start, uh, start in verse 19. David's son has been sick, his child has been sick. And David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. And David got up from the ground after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord. And, and what did he do, church? And he worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served food, and he ate. And his servants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. They couldn't understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, and I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. Verse 23, the key verse. But now that he is dead, 
Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him, but he'll not return to me. Oh, I'll go to him. He's focused on the future. I'll go to him. Why should I keep fasting? Why should I keep praying? I'm going to go to him one day. I, I, we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to have to move quickly. But don't focus just on the past. And when, when you're in grief, that's, that's, that's kind of the default sometimes. When we're really grieving, we always are focusing on the past because we're focusing on our loss. We are always focusing on what we didn't have with him or her or what we're not going to have. And sometimes the best way for you to handle your grief is not to focus on the past, but focus on what the future holds. And we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But focus on the future. Let your heart and your mind be set on the future. I will go to him. Number three. This is one of the bigger ones right here. Number three is this. Turn to God and not away from him. Now that might seem obvious to you, but if there was ever a time when you're tempted to walk away from your faith, listen to me, church, it'll be when you're grieving there's ever a time when you're tempted to turn your back on God, it'll be when you're grieving. If there's ever a time when you're tempted to be angry with God and say, I'm done with Him, it will be when you're grieving. When your child is killed in a car wreck by a drunk or distracted driver, when your dad dies unexpectedly of a massive heart attack, when your mom dies at a young age of lung cancer, when your brother is murdered, when your spouse suffers for weeks and months in the hospital and then dies, those are the times when you have to make a conscious choice to turn to God rather than away from Him. Those are the times you're tempted to walk away. Those are the times when the haunting questions come, like, why, God, would you allow this? God, why didn't you do something? God, you could have healed her, but you didn't. God, why did you take someone who was such a good person? God, why did you let this tragedy happen? And the best thing that I found was written by a man who really knows the depth of that why question. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, like you, I've asked that why question often and in anger. What I have learned from my loss is that more than needing an answer to my question about pain, I need a presence in my pain. More than needing an explanation of my tragedy, I need to experience God's presence in my tragedy. For me, Christ on the cross reminds me that God knows my pain. I believe that my tears and my pain over my loss are exceeded by God's tears and God's pain over my loss. God knows. God has been there where we are in our loss. Tragedy can drive us away from God in bitter disappointment, or tragedy can lead us to God in longing hope. The choice is ours. Now listen to what he said. Listen. For me... A change occurred in my grief as I changed my thinking about my three-year-old daughter, my three-year-old daughter who died of a brain tumor. By the way, this was written by a pastor. For me, a change occurred in my grief as I changed my thinking about my three-year-old daughter who died of a brain tumor. Formerly, I had thought about her as being mine. Mine by right. She was my daughter. Thus I felt justified in my anger and my bitterness because after all, I had been robbed of what was mine. 
When I began thinking about my daughter as a gift to me, a gift that ultimately belonged to God, not to me, then my anger after over losing her from my life began to give way to gratitude over having had her in my life at all. When I changed how I viewed my daughter, my grief changed from bitterness over my loss to gratitude for her life. And I changed as I stopped demanding a big answer from God. Instead, I allowed myself to be in the bigger presence of God. We need something to believe in that is bigger than this life alone. We need to believe in something or someone who cannot be taken away by life's tragedies. The last paragraph, I want you to hear this. The basis of my hope, this is so good. The basis of my hope, even in my grief, lies in this faith claim. In life and in death, we belong to God. I believe that claim from the bottom of my heart and from the top of my mind, and I believe it most passionately when I stand over my daughter's grave and think about what could have been. Decide that you're going to turn to God, not away from Him. Let me show you a scripture in Psalm 143. Psalm 143. Psalm 143, verse 4 through 8, if you're taking notes. So my spirit grows faint within me, and my heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all of your works, and I consider what your hands have done. And I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will go down like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. If you're struggling with grief, I would ask you just to camp out in that passage. I'd ask you just to let that be one of your prayers that you pray. Turn the psalm into a prayer. Turn that scripture into a prayer. You may not even feel like praying it. You may not want to pray it. But the very fact that you're taking the Word of God and praying the Word of God back to God, it'll do something to your spirit and to your heart. It'll do something to your grief. Number four is this. Can I say to you before I, I tell you what it is? Don't just brush it aside and say, oh, that, that's just preach talk. No, no, listen to number four. Let Jesus be your comforter. Let Jesus be your comforter. In 1858, there was a Scottish missionary named John G. Patton. He and his wife sailed from the New Hebrides, or sailed for the New Hebrides, Three months after arriving on that island, his wife, Tana, died. Now, get this in your mind. These are missionaries. They go to the New Hebrides Island. Three months after getting there, in 1858, so it took them a while to get there. There's no easy way to contact people in the outside world. There's, there's no Facebook. There's no uh, FaceTime. There, there's no telephone. There's no texting. There's, there's, you're You're isolated. It's 1858, you're isolated on this island, and your wife has died. 
And a week after she died, his infant son also died. He's been on the mission field for a month. It's 1858. He's out in the middle of, of, of nowhere at this small, small island. He's been on the mission field a month, and now he's had to dig a grave for his wife, and then the next week he had to dig a grave for his infant son. feeling terribly alone, plunged into sorrow and grief, surrounded by savage people who showed him absolutely no sympathy whatsoever, he wrote these words. Let those who have ever passed through any similar darkness as of midnight feel for me. And as for all others, it would be more than vain to try to paint my sorrows Listen to what he says. But for Jesus and his fellowship, I would have gone mad and died. He said, if it hadn't been for Jesus, I would have lost my mind and died. This next verse I'm going to give you, you don't even need to turn to it because you can quote it and some of you need to start quoting it again. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let me give you one more scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Real quickly, go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of you in Bible study today, you probably were in this scripture, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of what, church? The God of what? All comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And look at verse 5. This is what you need to underline. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Through Christ, our comfort overflows. Read you one other story and then give you the last point. We'll be done. A miserable-looking woman recognized F.B. Meyer one day, the great preacher F.B. Meyer. She recognized him on the train, and she wanted to share her burden with him. The woman explained that she had for years and years and years taken care of a crippled daughter, and that crippled daughter brought great joy to her life. She said, every morning I fixed her tea, and we had tea together, and every morning... Uh, we sat and talked together. And then I went off to work and knowing that when I would get back in the evening, my daughter would be there. And we would spend the evening together. And he said, but the daughter died. My daughter died. And I'm really struggling now. And F.B. Meyer said, when I looked into her face, I could see how miserable she was. I could see how much she was hurting. And she said to F.B. Meyer, she said, this grieving mother said, home is not home. Anymore. What do you say to a lady like that? You know what that great preacher said to her? Here's what he said. He said, when you get home, put the key in the door and say this out loud. Jesus, I know you're here. And get ready to meet him when you open the door. And as you light the fire, tell him what's happened during your day. 
anybody's been kind, tell Jesus all about it. If anybody has been unkind, tell Jesus all about that as well. Just like you used to tell your daughter. At night, stretch out your hand in the darkness and say, Jesus, I know you're here. Said some months later, he saw that same lady. Her countenance had changed. She looked totally different. Her face was radiant. And she said to him, I did what you told me to do. And it's made all the difference in, in the world. She said, and now I feel like I know him. I'm not saying that God t- has taken your loved one so that you can get to know him. But I am saying this, that in the midst of your grief, it might be a chance for you to get to know him in a way you've never known him before. Let Jesus be your comforter. Get to know him better. Last one is this. Live with a sense of thankfulness that heaven awaits. Anybody grateful for heaven? I said, anybody out there grateful for heaven? You know the scripture. You probably already know where I'm going, but it's a good way for us to end our time together. Did you know that in the first century, the pagans, not the Christians, but the pagans in the first century, they believed that death ended everything. They believed that there was nothing beyond death. Now, there's people today that still believe that, but that was especially prevalent in the very first century. And so they believed that when someone died, that was the end. There was nothing beyond that. And they looked at death with horror Because death ended everything. It would be a scary thing indeed if death ended everything. If if it was just all over and there's nothing beyond that. That's what the first century pagans believed. And then Jesus came on the scene and said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come and take you to be with me. And out of that context, Christians began to share, no, there is something beyond death. If you know Christ as your Savior. And in fact, we have hope that when we say goodbye to someone, there will one day be a hello to that same person. And so let's read about it. This would be a good one for us to go home on. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Listen to me, church. I don't know how I don't know how you would wrestle with death. I don't know how you would wrestle with grief. I don't know how you would wrestle with with your loss if there were no heaven. We have hope because of heaven. We believe, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from where? From heaven. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know what Paul was saying? Paul was simply saying this. I know death hurts. I know grief is real, but I also know this. If your loved one knew Jesus as as their Lord and Savior, and if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's going to one day be a reunion. You can look forward to heaven, the joys of heaven. Live with a sense of thankfulness. I am so thankful for heaven because I've got a daddy that's waiting for me there. I've got a mom that's waiting for me. I've got a father-in-law and a mother-in-law. And, and recently, I've got a brother who's waiting for me now. 
so thankful that I could go to heaven. I could say hello again. You know, so if I could put it all in context, I'll close with this. I told you that I don't know that grief ever ends. Actually, I think to be more biblical, I would say this. There is an ending day. It's when you can say hello again. That's when your grief ultimately will end. Let me pray with you. Father, I know that there are people, dear, sweet people, who are here tonight who have wrestled with grief and perhaps are still wrestling. And I know that this is not just a a magic, quick fix kind of a thing that we've talked about tonight, but there is some very real biblical truth here. And I pray that you would help us as we wrestle and struggle with the loss, as we wrestle and struggle with the grief, may we begin to find peace. May we begin to find hope. And Lord, we are so thankful for heaven. So thankful for Jesus. May you comfort as only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the truthfulness of your word, may you comfort those who are grieving. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.